Welcome to The Deduction, a Tax Foundation podcast. My name is Jesse Solis, Media Relations Manager here at the Tax Foundation. I'm joined by my colleague, Senior Policy Analyst, Garrett Watson. Garrett, how are you? Doing great after Thanksgiving. How are you? I'm doing well, too. So last time we talked, which was before Thanksgiving, the House of Representatives was debating this multi-trillion dollar reconciliation package. When we were talking, it was still in the works. Nothing was voted on. That's changed. The House voted on this package, right? That's right. We uh, we saw the House uh, just before uh, Thanksgiving vote this uh, through. And uh, if, if folks follow along with how, how a bill becomes a law, that means that the Senate will have an opportunity to take a look at this legislation and decide what to do with it moving forward. Uh, and of course, most notably, right before that vote, we had some estimates from the nonpartisan scorekeepers in Congress, the Congressional Budget Office, or CBO, uh, who provided some estimates about the deficit impact of this legislation uh, and some estimates on some of the other revenue raisers that are pretty important. And I'm sure we'll get into it in more detail. Uh, and that's been the talk of the town over the last week or so. Yeah. And and CBO and JCT, so the budget keepers and the, the tax scorers, if you will, nonpartisan bodies, before any bill that has revenue attached to it is passed or goes to the floor, they release these scores saying what the bills will do. Um, the CBO one was raising a lot of eyebrows and kind of causing a lot of hairs to rise just because they were taking a while to score it, uh, which is, I would say, is understandable given how big this package is. People don't like releasing corrections. They want to get it right the first time. So CBO was taking their time getting to the score. But one part of the reconciliation package that the White House was really touting was that their increased funding for the IRS to help close the tax gap would help pay for a lot of this package. They were hedging a lot of bets that IRS funding would get them the money they need to get this package revenue neutral um, or even, you know, not cost as much as they want it to. What did CBO say about the IRS funding? That's right. Uh, originally, the White House had the Treasury Department independently try to produce an estimate for how much revenue $80 billion in additional IRS enforcement resources would bring to uh, the federal government, both through uh, finding folks who are evading their taxes and collecting those taxes uh, at that point, or by deterring folks and encouraging them to go ahead and properly file and pay their taxes. Uh, because they may be more afraid of of the uh, more robust enforcement that would exist with that uh, additional $80 billion. Uh, the Treasury Department came out and estimated it closer to $400 billion, which is a pretty significant uh, rate of return there. And, and that's because they thought there would be a pretty strong effect, especially with this deterrence, and that folks would, would be more likely to go ahead and uh, and pay their taxes proactively, and that would lead to a, a really large increase in revenue. The Congressional Budget Office disagrees. They found that an $80 billion increase in, in IRS resources would increase revenue uh, overall by about $200 billion on net. When you subtract out that $80 billion in spending, it would be about $127 billion. And the main disagreement there is uh, two things. One, how strong would this deterrence effect be? CBO thinks that no, folks will not be as deterred as, as Treasury is thinking based on this increase in the resources. Uh, and two, uh, of course, the CBO is, is looking at uh, expanding these resources and, and notes that there is a declining uh, value toward increasing uh, IRS resources. Every dollar that you increase that enforcement by uh, means that it's going to be harder to find the next tax evader who might be harder to find. And so that reduces the overall effect of the 
increase in resources uh, for revenue. And so that leads to about a $200 billion uh, plus gap in the overall revenue, which is why you're seeing the White House say, hey, if you included our estimate for enforcement, this overall package is deficit neutral. But on paper, the CBO found, based on their scores, it's about $160 billion uh, overall deficit over 10 years when you include their lower score for IRS enforcement. Yeah, quite the difference. A billion dollars, $2 billion in the scope of a $2 trillion package, maybe not that much. $200 billion, that's quite a bit. And I'm glad you said, too, that's over the course of 10 years. Usually when we're talking revenues, that's what we're looking at, 10-year projections. Now, the Joint Committee on Taxation, they also released their score prior to the bill being voted on, and they, they have since updated it. But the original score said that the bill was going to actually cut taxes for millionaires. I thought the point of the package was to go after the wealthy as well as you know fund these social programs. The JCT, they've released an update showing maybe it's not as generous to millionaires, but what about those making 999000 Right. Yeah. Big picture, of course, the, the goal here was to, to increase taxes on higher earners and corporations to, to pay for this, uh, this spending. But the big uh, one big source of tax relief, notably raising the state and local tax deduction cap, which is currently set at $10,000, up to $80,000, really high number, would mostly benefit higher earners because those are the types of folks who would uh, be deducting uh, high taxes that they pay at the state and local level. And while JCT did find that for folks over a million dollars, on average, they would pay higher taxes, most notably through higher corporate taxes and the uh, surcharge on higher incomes, those who are earning somewhere between $400,000 and about a million dollars would still see a net tax cut in the first few years of this package. And so it's, there's still a legitimate concern that there is some giveaway here to higher earners based on this change in SALT. In addition to that, there's uh, sort of a roller coaster ride here because after 2025, the salt cap is supposed to expire. And so technically, this $80,000 cap is a tax hike after 2025. So it sort of flips, and then all of a sudden, there's major tax increases for those folks. So even for folks who are supportive of this, that's uh, a challenge to wade through because they're going to be going through a roller coaster ride when they do their taxes over the next 10 years. I, I used to work in the House, and often with these big packages, you expect the Senate to make changes. It happens. Sometimes they're substantial, sometimes they're not. And they kind of always have the upper hand because the margins tend to be slimmer in the Senate. So it's like once they reach their threshold for what they can get enough members on board to, that's what they kind of tell the House to deal with as well. But the margins are just as slim in the House right now. So as the Senate is debating this thing, what changes could they even hypothetically make without jeopardizing House support? Right. I think there's a couple of major areas that the Senate will be focusing on. One item that they are st already still working on is what to do with SALT. Of course, the House raised that cap up from 10K to 80K. Uh, the Senate may do something slightly different. Uh, Senators Menendez and Senator Bernie Sanders have explored potentially limiting the state and local tax deduction based on your income more directly. So allowing folks who earn, say, less than 400000 a year to deduct all of their salt that they pay, and then only limiting it for folks above that amount. But there's still disagreement about how that would actually work. The devil's really in the details here, how it would phase out, where it would phase out, and uh, who should benefit overall from this type of policy design. And of course, what to do with the revenue, whether or not to make it revenue neutral in its design. So that those details still need to be hammered out. The second major area of, of concern is in the child tax credit. 
uh, because Senator Manchin most notably has concerns about its existing design. It was a major expansion and overhaul this year that provided that credit to lower income families who otherwise would not have gotten it. And uh, we may be seeing some further design changes going into next year. Of course, the House would extend it for one year as is, but uh, Senator Manchin may be interested in means testing it, sort of limiting it more so, for, especially for folks who are more middle class. And so we'll have to watch that because that is a pretty major part of the, the package. It costs about $100 billion over 10 years. And it's, uh, it's going to be subject to a lot of disagreement for folks who see it as a, a poverty alleviation tool between both chambers. Finally, on the spending side, they still need to make decisions about items like paid leave, uh, which was uh, passed as a slimmed down version in the House. Senator Manchin has expressed reservations about, about that and how to do it. He would prefer to see it done on a bipartisan basis, separate from reconciliation. And, and last but not least, there are still odds and ends related to the tax side of things. For example, some uh, folks are worried about how the corporate book tax might impact certain industries. Uh, that may have to be altered a bit upon uh, the final passage here. And some folks may want to see some resolution to the international tax changes, which I'm sure y'all will get into more detail with uh, colleagues who have been pursuing that in pretty closely over the past few weeks. And on that corporate book income tax, that was this new proposal that they put in there in lieu of just raising the corporate rate, right? Could you give just a quick explainer on how that would impact businesses? I know our modeling of this book income tax isn't the rosiest in the world, may not be, you know, it might not be trading a bad policy for another bad policy, or is this, how, how do you justify this new tax? That's right. In terms of background, originally, the president and the House were considering just raising the statutory corporate tax rate up from 21% to 28% or 25%. Uh, instead of doing either of those, uh, originally, it was 26.5% in the House in September. Uh, they decided to keep it at 21%, uh, mostly because Senator Sinema had opposition to raising those statutory tax rates. But that, it was one of the single largest revenue raisers in the original package. So they had to find a backup plan to raise that revenue. And what they settled on in part was a minimum tax on corporations on their book income. To the Cliff Notes version here is corporations have two, generally two sets of, of books here. One, to determine their financial profits that they report to shareholders. And the second, which is uh, calculated differently uh, for tax purposes. And that's because the tax code gives you a lot of incentives uh, to, say, engage in research and development that you can't put on your financial books for shareholders. And that has led to some concerns that, hey, some corporations uh, in, in any given year might have financial profits, but because of the tax code, may not pay any tax on, on those financial profits. So this minimum tax of 15% is meant to try to tax book income. The problem with it is that it makes the tax code really complicated, and it will encourage policymakers to mess with uh, financial accounting rules. And so that it's just a really complicated band-aid for a problem that it's not even clear that it is a problem. And if you are going to deal with it, it should be dealt with directly by fixing the tax code, the provisions specifically that are driving those gaps between book and tax income. Last point, Schumer said yesterday, he thinks this will be on the floor by December 13th. Do you think that'll happen? Or do you think we're going to be talking on Christmas Day about this package? So it seems likely that it will hit the floor sometime in mid-December after they're done running it through the various reconciliation rules to determine what's in and out procedurally in the Senate. The big question is where they'll be on some of these negotiations. Uh, there's a good chance that that still will not be completed by then, which means that there will be uh, further work to be done. I would not rule out uh, the Senate working through the holiday period to get this done because they do consider it of, of utmost importance. 
Uh, and of course, another reminder that in addition to this, they need to uh, find time to uh, fund the government uh, and to deal with the debt ceiling, which may, according to most recent estimates, uh, run out uh, in mid-December, uh, causing a potentially a fiscal crisis for the U.S. So both of those items are also on the Senate's agenda, which will make it a very busy month and make it very likely that we'll be seeing a lot of this work on BBBA continue through the second half of the month and potentially even into January. Always love to hear fiscal crisis right before the holiday season. Uh, Garrett, how can folks follow you on Twitter for updates? I'm on Twitter at GS underscore Watson, and you can find my work at taxfoundation.org. Yeah, and to follow us and more, we are on Twitter and LinkedIn at Tax Foundation. Thank you for tuning in to The Deduction. Be sure to drop us a note at taxfoundation.org slash podcast.